Hodgetts. Thank you so much. Wonderful privilege to be here. I once heard a man who started a speech this way. He said, before I speak, I want to say a few words. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Before I speak, I want to say a few words. First of all, a big, big thank you to Pastor Chris and May and Pastor Roland and Evelyn and all the other people that have been so kind to us, Ellen and Sally. And we have just been overwhelmed by the love and the kindness already that we have received. And we really appreciate it. So um, I don't want to take up too much time. I've now done the courtesies, the pleasantries. So uh, I want to get to the Word of God, but I just need to warn you, there's a difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching is proclamation, and teaching is explanation. So you need more time to explain. So I'm so thankful that I heard about daylight savings time, so I believe I have an extra hour. (laughs) You can make it up next Sunday somehow. But I I want to continue with a theme that you have been following, uh, namely the household of faith. And I I really need God's grace this morning because I need to squeeze into the time that I have available, everything that I I feel in my heart to share with you. I I know the world speaks about a crash course, but this is not a crash course. We're not going to crash. This is a speed course uh, to to salvation (laughs) and safety. So, uh, my sermon today has two parts. In the first part, I want to show you how God takes an interest in families, in households, and He wants to make them households of faith. And I want you to, as Pastor Roland prayed, to see your family in a different way, in the way that God sees it. And then in the second part, I want to focus on the role that the Bible, God's Word, can, pl- can play in your family if you give it its central place. It will have many blessings uh, to your family. So here's part one, and I want to call it God is a household God. So let me shock you with, with a statement. God loves gangsters. And, and I want you to imagine a gangster, kind of a a cross between Danny DeVito and a man called Charles Ponzi. I'm sure you've heard of Ponzi schemes, a fraudulent get-rich-quick scheme named after this man. So there was this Danny DeVito, Charles Ponzi character, short little man who was cheating people out out of money. And don't look at me, I'm a preacher, so I'm not that man. It's actually a Bible character. There was a short man named Zacchaeus, a notorious wealthy con man of Jericho. And although he never reached great heights, his mother had great ideals for him. She named him Zacchaeus, which means pure and innocent. So uh, we know when Zac was at the height or the lowest point of his crime career, he heard about Jesus and he had the strong desire to know more about him. So he climbed up a tree And he had this encounter with Jesus. And the amazing thing is that Jesus goes to this house of this con man. And uh, 
he, he then, this man repented of his sins, promised to make restitution. But here's what I want you to see, the words of Jesus. I believe this is a, a very important statement in Luke 19 and verses 9 and 10. Jesus said these words, salvation has come to this home today. You can put up the, the scripture there. Salvation has come to this home today, not to this man only, to this home. And that is the important thing. These words of Jesus made me realize that God is not just interested in individuals. He's interested in households, in bringing that whole home to him. And uh, we need to realize that Jesus is the one that came to introduce God as father. And God is the inventor of families. He's the original father. So God is there to fix broken families and make them whole again, to restore dysfunctional families and make them work again. He wants to save lost families and make them walk in his way. Right in the beginning, God said uh, these words, his first words, in fact, when he created Adam and Eve, he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, God said, go and make families. Because God wanted those families to be blessed. He blessed them. And then it's so interesting if you read in the Old Testament how God at several occasions saved families. Think of Lot and in Sodom and Gomorrah. When the angel announced to him that God was going to destroy those cities, he said, take your whole family. And he specifically mentions his sons-in-law who were unbelieving sons-in-law. God was willing to save the unbelieving family because of one righteous man. And I want you to realize that, that God is just looking for somebody to work through so that he can save the whole family. Interesting, in the year of Jubilee, God's desire was uh, for people to be liberated. And then he says, not just the individual, but the whole family. And I know you've been focusing on the words of, of Joshua where he said, as for me and my house, my household, my family, he says, we will serve the Lord because God is interested in a whole family. Now, I, I want to encourage you as an individual, if you have unsaved family members, to see your family in a different way, the way that God sees them. And God wants them to be part of, of his kingdom. So I want to say, if, if one person comes to God in a family, let me put it this way, God has a foot in the door. And God wants to open that door and save your whole family. That's what he wants to do. So uh, uh, just to make sure that, that we understand this, I do believe that salvation is a personal choice. And no one can believe on behalf of someone else. There's no such thing as surrogate, surrogate salvation. Everyone has to personally believe in, in God. I, I remember David Duplessis, uh, a South African minister who became known as Mr. Pentecost because he was so involved in starting the charismatic move all over the world. And he made this uh, important statement. He said, God has no grandchildren. So parents cannot believe on behalf of their children. They have to make their own decision. But you can influence your extended family as a believer, 
and you can trust God to bring your whole household and make it a, a household of faith. So here's something very interesting. I want to take you through the book of Acts. And I want to show you ample evidence, five households in the book of Acts that God said, I'm going to save that whole house. And so let me, let me show you these households, the individuals that God used to influence their whole family. And I want to start with uh, somebody called Cornelius. Cornelius, uh, he was an army officer and uh, he was a Gentile, but God saved his, his whole household. Now Cornelius, uh, just from his Latin name, we know that he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. He came from a pagan polytheistic, idolatrous background. But it is very interesting that he, not even being a Christian, heard about the Messiah probably from the Jews. And although he was a, a high-ranking Roman officer and in a position where he could expect people to serve him, he served the poor. He gave alms to the poor. And here's another amazing thing about him. Now, remember, he wasn't a believer in Jesus yet, but he was a prayer. And it says that his prayers actually came before God as a monument. Can you imagine God hearing the prayer of an unsaved Gentile? And so God, in, I'm speaking in human terms here, I want you to see how God went to a lot of trouble. Now, nothing troubles God, but in human terms. God went to a lot of effort to get Cornelius and his household saved. So one day while Cornelius was fasting and praying, an angel appeared to him, gave him a message, and said to him, you need to call for a man called Simon Peter. He knew Peter's name and surname. He knew Peter's address where he was staying in, in, in Joppa at, at that time. He even told him uh, what the outcome will be. Now listen to the scripture in Acts 11, the words of the angel, send man, men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words, listen to this, by which you and your household will be saved. So let me emphasize this. God is interested in households. And so here's what happened. Peter gets this vision, and it's a strange vision because all kinds of unclean animals uh, appearing out of heaven, and God says to him as a Jew, eat these unclean animals. Peter must have been shocked. God had to show him the vision three times. Now, although Peter was already a believer, uh, uh, Peter probably had some resistance against Gentiles and didn't think that they could be saved. And so God had to shock him out of his religious racism, out of his spiritual xenophobia. And God had to show Peter Gentiles can be saved. So here we read about the first Gentiles coming to Christ when Peter eventually went and preached to them. And it says that their whole household was saved. And tradition tells us that um, whether it's true or not, we will find out in heaven that Cornelius actually started a church in Caesarea. So let me say this. If God could do it then, he could do it for you. The second household we read about is Lydia. She was a businesswoman, and uh, 
it's, it's good news that God doesn't just work with patriarchs. He works with matriarchs. God will use anyone in the family to get that whole household saved. And Lydia, uh, being a, a, a businesswoman by occupation, uh, in modern terms, she had a fabric shop or a clothes shop. She specialized in purple dyed cloths, uh, important from her hometown, uh, Thyatira. And uh, interesting, these cloths were used in, in Roman togas and were very popular among rich people. Is there anyone wearing purple today here? Look out for the rich people around you. Okay, so only rich people. Interesting because they got that from, uh, from the crushing of tiny sea snails. And they used that dye, but they had to, to use thousands of those sea snails. That's why the, the fabric was so expensive. So in any case, she probably had, uh, had, a, had a home industry. It wasn't Chadstone Mall. It wasn't any big business, but she was a wealthy woman. Big house, she invited Paul and his party, uh, probably Luke and Timothy and Silas traveling with him. And here's the, the good news again. It, we read about that in, in, in Acts 16 and verses 14 and 15. It says, she was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And listen to verse 15. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So again, God uses a woman and incidentally, again, probably a, a Gentile woman. Uh, maybe she was a, a Jewish uh, proselyte, but God uses her to, to bring a whole household, probably all her workers uh, into the kingdom as well. And this is a fact. The first church started in Europe, started in the town where she was in, in Philippi. The third family... Again, a Gentile family. Isn't it amazing that the third household we read about, all three of them were, were Gentiles because this time we read about the Philippian prison warden and his household. Now, my Bible says jailer. I know in modern days it's not politically correct to speak about a jail or a jailer. So they speak about a supervising custodian in a correctional facility. But it was still prison at that time. So let's talk about a prison warden. And here's the amazing thing. We know that Paul and Silas landed in prison and God supernaturally uh, brought an earthquake and uh, the doors opened. And then we read about this uh, in, in verse uh, 30, that the jailer brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their response is the following in verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, and uh, you and your household. I think we need to change our preaching. Because here's the message. We need to tell people God is not just interested in you, but in your whole family. And we need to start believing for families to come into the kingdom. Because God is a household God. He's interested in, in whole households. And so uh, very interesting that all of them got baptized midnight. They didn't wait for a baptismal service. Right there, midnight, all of them got, got baptized. And as I said, uh, there was a church, the first church in Europe started in, in Philippi. And maybe the, uh, 
the prison warden became the janitor of the church because it was used to carrying keys around. So uh, that I just made up, obviously. But again, I want to encourage you. If God can do it for him, God can do it for you and your family. Amen. Let me get to the, the, the fourth family. And this time it's a man called Crispus. He was, I, let me call him a minister because you'll see that he was actually the ruler of the synagogue. It says in Acts 18 and verse 8 that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. Hallelujah. Interesting name, Crispus. Again, a Latin name, which literally means crisp or fresh. So he was a father of the family. His name was Crispus. If it means crisp or fresh, today we would have called him Daddy Cool. <laughs> so here yeah, he responds to the gospel. And again, we read that this Jewish family became Christians, all of them. And interesting, he didn't get saved in the synagogue. They went to a house next to the synagogue and he got saved in a home meeting. Can you see how important home meetings are? And God is interested in bringing households into the kingdom. And we read that Paul spent a year and a half there and established a, a strong church. And it says that even many of the Corinthians uh, believed and were baptized. The last family uh, in the book of Acts is Lois, the grandmother. Good news for grannies. You can believe and actually listen to, I'll qualify, you can pass your faith on through generations. Now, the, the family, the household is not mentioned here, but in Acts 16, we read about Paul coming to uh, uh, Darby and Lystra, and it says, Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek, and it says he was well spoken of uh, by the brethren. Now, we don't know where Timothy's father was and what his status was. Uh, many scholars believe that the father was not even a believer. But thank God for a believing mother and a believing grandmother. Because here's what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.15. He says to Timothy, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And incidentally, the Greek word there for childhood literally means infant. From a small boy, he was taught the Scriptures. And then it says, and these scriptures have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation uh, that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So who taught Timothy the scriptures? Where did his faith come from? His grandmother, Lois, and his mother, uh, Eunice. We, we read about them. They were dedicated believers. And I'm going to, in a, in a few moments, show you what an important role the scriptures, the Bible, can play in your family. But I want to tell you a story about four theologians who were having a debate about what is the best English translation of the Bible. And so the first theologian said he favored the King James Version because of its expressive and, and dramatic and poetic uh, old English style. The second one said, no, I choose the English Standard Version for its accuracy in translating the original text. 
The third scholar said, I actually like the New Living Translation because it uses contemporary phrases and modern day idioms that make understanding quite easy. And after a few moments, the fourth theologian said, I personally prefer my mother's translation. And so the other scholars could not hide their amusement. Uh, but he explained, he said, yes, my mother did translate the scriptures. She translated each page of the Bible into life. And he said, it's the most convincing translation I've ever heard. You see, there's a role that the mother can play. There's the role that a grandmother can play. And again, I want to say, uh, uh, you can expect the same from God. And you can actually pass on your faith. Let me emphasize again, your children will have to make their own decision, but you can influence their decision. Amen. So, before I go on to the second part of my sermon, showing you the, the important role of the Bible, let me just expand on this and say that God is not just a household God. God is a generational God. God wants to save generations. It's amazing that God, when He entered into covenant with Abram, not only did Abram's name change, but God changed His name. Because from that day, He became known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations. So that's what, what God is saying. And I know quite often people spend so much time in focusing on, on, on the negative, and they speak about how uh, a God will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the third and the fourth generation of those who, who hate him. But they, they stop reading there. If they just read on, the next verse uh, says that God will show mercy and steadfast love to a thousand generations. That's a promise to stand on. Believe that your kingdom, your children will come into the kingdom, that they will serve God, even if they're not doing it now. Believe that God is a generational God. In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, Moses speaks to Israel and he says, Know this, God, your God is God indeed, a God you can depend on. He keeps his covenant of loyal love with those who love him and observe his commandments for a thousand generations. Hallelujah. In the New Testament, Mary sings a song unto God and, and she praises Him and she said, His mercy goes on from generation to generation. So believe God for your unsaved family members to come in. Amen. Thank you for those three weak amens. I'll take everyone. Right, let me get to the second part of my sermon because I want to show you the importance of the Bible in your family because you need to realize, and I said this on Wednesday night at the family evening too, don't just read your Bible as a religious duty. You need to realize how important the Bible is because it can bring uh, life to, to your family. Now, first of all, I, I want to read this to you. Here are some signs that you may not be studying your Bible enough. Here's the first sign. You hear the preacher announcing that his sermon is from Genesis chapter 1, 
and you have to check your Bible's table of contents to find the book of Genesis. Here's another sign. You open to the book of Acts and an invitation to the New Year's Eve service of 1998 falls out. Here's another one. You keep on falling for it every time the pastor asks you to turn to the book of First Columbians. <laughs> or Second Episcopalians. And, and here's a, a very revealing sign that you're not reading your Bible enough. Your kids keep asking you too many questions about your usual bedtime story, which is Jonah, the shepherd boy, and his ark of many colors. <laughs> Why is the Bible so important? Why did God give us the Bible as a religious book? No, it's God's love letter to you and your family. It's a personal book that will bring so many blessings in your life. And I want to say this, and I know in this church you get good preaching, good teaching, but it's impossible for the pastor to feed you properly from one Sunday sermon a week. You need to read the Word of God and study it on a regular basis. And you need to be busy with the Bible every, every day, basically. So I want to give you a series of, of key phrases, and they all start with the letter D that, that will aid the memory, basically my memory, first of all. But you'll be able to, to remember these things. When you study the Bible, the first thing that it will help you to do is to discover God. The Bible is there to help you discover God. Now, I need to explain that. God is not playing hide and seek. God is not hiding somewhere. But God will only reveal himself to people who get serious about it. So that's what, what he did. It's very interesting that in the life of, of the young Samuel, it actually says that the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. And I know in Samuel's case, it was probably uh, God speaking to him orally. But let me say this. God still wants to reveal himself by his word to you. And I want to I be very clear about this. Let me read that scripture first uh, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, every scripture is inspired by God. Inspired means God breathed life into scripture. God breathed himself into scripture. And it says it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Listen, for your children, for training in righteousness. That the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. Can I say this? Even if you never ever in your life get a prophecy or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a spiritual dream or an angelic visitation or experience some, some manifestation, I want to say that this scripture says God can make you complete. Sometimes we pray for this big revelation and the greatest revelation of God is lying on our bed table next to us. And the problem is we're looking for something spectacular. And I remember one man of God saying this, we often miss the supernatural because we're looking for the spectacular. God's book is a supernatural book. 
And he wants to reveal himself in a supernatural way. The second blessing or benefit of the Bible is the Bible will help to direct learning. We all need to learn. We need to know the scriptures because it will direct the family. It will help them, point them to the right scriptures. We do not study the Bible just for ourselves. I've, I've realized that whatever God gives me is not just for me. The gift shouldn't stop with you. When God blesses you financially, He wants to use you as a channel to bless others. When God blesses you with spiritual revelation, it's not so that you can get a big head. It's so that you can pass that on. And you need to pass it on to your family and help them. And, and, and here's an important thing. And I got a phone call one o'clock this morning from a, a, a minister friend in America that, that thought I was in South Africa. And he, he was speaking about this, the same thing. I said, I'm going to mention it this morning. We need to help our children to develop a Christian worldview. And we can only do that through Scripture that will direct their learning. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing, accurately dividing, rightly handling, and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Your children are bombarded with all kinds of information. We are living in a technological age with information overload. They need to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. And it's only the Bible that can direct them in the right way. Here's the third thing that the Bible will do. It will help to disclose mysteries. Because there are some secret things that God will not reveal to everyone. It only comes through revelation knowledge, spiritual understanding of, of the word. And in Ephesians 3, Paul writes to the Ephesian believers and he speaks about something that he wrote to them. And then he says, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And then he said these words, as you read, read what? Read the word. As you read what I have written, you will also understand my insight into this mysterious plan regarding Christ. I've heard people say this. I don't understand the Bible because it's a closed book. I tell you why it's a closed book. Because you don't open it. <laughs> Once you open it, God will open your understanding to it. And he will reveal things that you might not have understood before, things that might have been mysteries, and, and he will show them to you. If Pastor Chris and I can understand the Bible, you should be able to. Sorry, Pastor Chris, but I had to draw you in there. <laughs> so you see, God will reveal himself to you. In a special way. I always tell Bible school students because that's our passion. I said, it's great to be at Bible school, but you need to go home and hear from God yourself. Read the word and God will reveal himself to you. Don't be spoon fed all the time. Here's the next thing that the Bible will do. It will displace ignorance. It will displace ignorance. 
<laughs> I like this scripture in Psalm 119, verse 130. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. If you are simple, if you are ignorant, you don't have to stay like that. It gives understanding to the simple, and God wants to unlock his, his knowledge. You see, when God rebukes Israel, he says these words to them. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I heard someone that asked this question to, to a church member, and he said, do you think that lack of knowledge and apathy are the biggest problems in, in the church? And the answer was, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> and I think that's so typical sometimes. So what is, the res what is the remedy for ignorance? Knowledge. And where can you get knowledge? In God's Word. You need to help your children to not stay simple in the things of God. Let them be exposed to the Bible so that they can experience God's wisdom and, and God's knowledge. I like what someone said when they described the Bible. They said, the Bible is wisdom in cold storage. Hallelujah. Next benefit or blessing of studying and reading the Bible is the Bible will declare truth. We are in such a need of truth. And I'm going to read a scripture in a, in a while where you will see how the truth will liberate us and will purify us. If you want your family to be free, if you want your family to be purified, then expose them to the truth of God. Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17 and verse 17. He said to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So the word will sanctify you, will set you apart, will purify you. If you want your family to be set apart from, from all the corruption and the pollution of this world, then make sure that you expose them to the truth of God's word. That's what God wants to do. So it will cleanse you. Cor and I have been very blessed to have been associated with Reinhard Bonker, evangelist. For many, many years, he lived in South Africa. And he appeared in a, on a television show in South Africa with an atheist. And they had this discussion about, uh, about the Bible and about salvation. And the atheist said to him, how come if the Bible is true... And, and salvation, uh, you speak about salvation, how come everybody's not saved? And you know, I love Reinhard Bonke. He always has these nuggets that the Holy Spirit gives him. And he just said to him, you know what? You can work in a soap factory and still be dirty. Unless you apply the soap, <laughs> it will not cleanse you. The same is true about the Word of God. Unless you apply it, it will not, the truth will not sanctify or purify you. Let me continue because I have 84 more points tonight. Right. So here's the next thing that is important. The Bible will denounce error. It will denounce error. Because sound doctrine is like a safeguard against error. The Bible will disprove falsities. It disputes, it denies, it debunks, it destroys, it demolishes the lies of the devil because he's a liar. 
Now, listen to these words of Jesus. Often these words are misquoted or mutilated. In John 8, verses 31 and 32, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, here's how that scripture or those words of Jesus are misquoted or mutilated. People often make the statement, the truth will set you free. It's not what Jesus said. He said, you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. It's like the soap thing that I spoke about. Unless you have experiential knowledge of the truth, you will not be liberated. And one of the things that the truth of God will set you free from is the truth of God will set you free from error. And there's so much, listen to me, so much heresy going around, even in so-called Christian circles. There's so much untruth, so much lies, and they're usually camouflaged. And the only way that we can be safeguarded against error is to know the Word of God and, and to know the truth proclaimed by the Word of God. It's very interesting that the U.S. Secret Service, and these are facts, you can go and check it out, was established in 1865, and their sole mandate at that time, today it's still part of their mandate, but it's broadened, but their sole mandate was to investigate counterfeit U.S. currency. And here's how they trained the U.S. secret agents. For weeks, they exposed them to a genuine dollar bill. And they studied that dollar bill. They knew everything about that, that dollar bill. They knew the size, the design, the color, the borders, the, the distinct details, the lifelike portraits, the, the letter spacing, even the paper texture, the absence of toner or ink droplets. They, they knew the security features like serial numbers, watermarks, optical variable ink, fine line printing, micro printing, and inscribing in better, better polyester thread. So for weeks, they, they studied that real dollar bill. And one day, when they entered into the classroom, on everyone's desk, there was a counterfeit bill. And you know what? Immediately, they recognized that this was counterfeit. Why? Because they knew the real thing. And here's what I want to say. Some people want to study all kinds of errors. Some people want to study the occult. And they want to know everything about the lies. But they don't know the truth. I remember, I think it was Kenneth Hagin that, that said this. He said, in a Christian's life, there are three things you need to know. You need to know who God is. You need to know who you are in Christ. And you need to know who your enemy is. In that order. A lot of people want to know who the enemy is. But they don't know who God is. And they don't know their authority in Christ. A lot of people want to know who they are. I go to some churches and you just hear a motivational talk about what you are. I can tell you what you are. You're a mess without Jesus. But if you know who God is, and then from your God image, it will determine your self-image. You will know who you are in Christ, what your authority is. Then you will not have a problem with your enemy. So we need to study the real thing first. 
We need to know what, what Scripture says. And, and don't be tossed to and fro, as Paul writes, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And what bothers me, sometimes that wind of doctrine does not have to be a, a, a whirlwind, a twister, a tornado, or a typhoon. Sometimes people are swept away, not by a howling hurricane of heresy, but by a tr- tiny breeze of triviality. Because they don't know Scripture. And if you know the Word, you will have an advantage. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, watch out. I'm using my own words here. He says, lest Satan take advantage of you. Satan will take advantage of you. But then Paul continues. He says, we are not ignorant of his devices. If you're ignorant, Satan will take advantage of you. If you fill yourself with the truth of God's word, you have the advantage. Amen. Let me continue. Studying the word of God in your family will help you to define your beliefs. It's amazing that Christians are called believers, but many Christians are not sure what they believe. I I heard um, George Whitfield, he was an Anglican preacher who became one of the founders of Methodism, and he had a conversation with a man about what he believed. So he asked the man, tell me what you believe. And the man responded, I, I believe what my church believes. So he said, and what does your, your church believe? He said, the same thing I believe. <laughs> so he said, what do the both of you believe, Whitfield asked. He says, we both believe the same thing. <laughs> And here's what Peter writes he, in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, if anybody asks you why you believe as you do, be ready to tell him and do it in a gent- gentle and respectful way. How can you tell people what you believe if you don't know the Word of God? How can you expect your children to stand for what they believe if you are not giving the Bible its rightful place in your family? So, the Bible will help to, uh, to define your beliefs. Uh, next one. The Bible will help to dilate faith. Now, you know the word dilate, it's used especially when it speaks of the pupils of your eyes. When your eyes do not have an, enough light, it actually dilates. It opens up. It enlarges. So your pupils are dilated. In the same sense, your spiritual eyes. And thank you, Pastor Roland, for praying that prayer today. Because God wants to, I believe, open up our spiritual eyes. So your faith will be dilated, will be enlarged. Let me just uh, say this. Never pray and ask God for faith because there's no scripture that says you can do that. Here's what scripture says, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. By the Word of God. That's how faith comes. You see, sometimes we, we pray unscriptural prayers, asking for God for things that He says to us. Listen, you can get this, but it's not going to come. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting prayer down. I believe in prayer. But we need to realize that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
Tertullian was a second century North African theologian, and he said this. He said, we come together to recollect the divine scriptures. We nourish our faith, raise our hope, confirm our trust by the sacred word. If you want to nourish your faith, you need the word. If you want to help your your children to develop strong faith, expose them to the teachings of the Bible. Number next, nine. (laughs) Studying the Bible will deepen character. It will deepen character. And it's so important. Let me make this statement. Beliefs form convictions and convictions shape character. If you just go on to the next slide there for us. Because when we study the Word of God, it, uh, it renews our mind. It helps to bring our thoughts into order. And it will build our character because God's Word is designed to make you a strong Christian. If you want to raise your children as strong believers, then expose them to the Word of God. Let me quote another theologian here, John Calvin, Protestant theologian. He says, doctrine is not a matter of talk, but of life. It is not grasped by the intellect alone like other branches of learning. It is received only when it fills the soul and finds a home in the innermost recesses of the heart. So God aims His word, look at me, not just here at your mind. God wants the word to change your character. I remember when I had to take over a Bible school. I knew nothing about Bible schools. I knew nothing about training. And the Holy Spirit clearly said to me, here are three questions you need to ask yourself. When those students come out of Bible school, what will they know? What, they, what will they be able to do? And what will they become? So it's knowledge, skills, and character. You don't study the Bible only for knowledge or only for skills. It's to deepen your character. And um, here's what 1 Timothy 4.16 says. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. That means the teaching of, of the Bible. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I'm so thankful that I am involved in preaching and teaching the Word of God. Because the moment I start preaching and teaching, the Bible is a two-edged sword. It doesn't just cut that way. It cuts this way too. And immediately it speaks to me. So when you take your Bible and you do it as a a family devotion, it will help your children to deepen their character. Number 10, the Bible will help to develop growth. And, And in the growth process, I'm not not talking about your children growing up uh, physically, but spiritually, uh, they need to be exposed to the Word of God. And Ephesians 4 and verse 15, it says, speaking the truth, that's the Word, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. You see, thank God for spiritual experiences, but they don't make you grow. You can have a spiritual experience, but the only instrument that God uses to make you grow is His Word. If you're not exposed to the Word of God, you will not grow. I've heard of churches that, that actually boasted. One pastor said, you know what? We had such amazing services. For six months, God has been moving in our services, and we haven't heard a sermon in six months. 
you're on dangerous ground. Thank God for manifestations. Thank God for His move. But we need the Word because it will help us to become strong uh, believers. Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers, English Baptist preacher, he said it this way, A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm old school. I, I still like hard copy of the Bible. And, uh, and, and here's the important thing. Come to church with your Bible, even if it's on your smartphone. But come to church with your Bible. Make notes. If you cannot write in your Bible, buy another one. Write in that one. But let it become God's personal love letter to you and to your family because it will help you to grow. Second last point. I'll leave the, the other 70 odd points for another occasion. The Bible will help to decide actions. You know, every person has a theology, whether they know it or not. And Cora always says this, it's amazing that atheists still define themselves by God because they call themselves atheists. And theos is the word for God. So when an atheist calls himself an atheist, he actually mentions God. I, I heard such an interesting, and you can go and Google this, it was uh, some conversation between uh, a, a very famous uh, atheist in, in the UK, and he was talking to uh, a minister on the radio, and uh, he was challenging the minister. He says, many Christians don't know the Bible. And so the, the minister said, well, it might be true, but he said, could you quote the exact title of Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of Species? It's just the short title. So the guy tried, and he, and he stumbled, and he stuttered, and he, and he eventually couldn't uh, uh, give the full title of, of, of the book because he was supposed to be a Darwinist. And as he, as he stuttered and stumbled, suddenly this atheist said, Oh, my God. <laughs> so even atheists call on God when they're in trouble. But it's important for you to have a theology, to have a value system, a worldview. Uh, sometimes I've heard people say, it's not, it, it, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you do what is right. But I don't agree with that because how you behave reveals what you believe. Oswald Chambers, Scottish Baptist minister, said it this way. It's the unseen and the spiritual in people that determines the outward and the actual. Ed Cole said it this way. He was an American uh, preacher. He said, private philosophy determines public performance. What you believe in private is what will come out in public. So it's important that you take the Word of God because it will decide your actions. And then lastly, the Bible will determine destiny. What you believe will influence your destiny here on earth and in 
eternity. In Matthew 7, verses 24 and 25, Jesus speaks about two men who built their houses. And he says the one man built his house on his sayings, and he was doing it. And it says the same storms came to both those houses. Let me say this to you. You cannot escape the storms of life. But here's the good news. When they come, your house can stand if it's built on the Word of God and you being a doer of the Word. And it will determine your destiny, whether you stand or whether you fall here on earth. Somebody put it this way, said, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. God wants you to live a life that is pleasing unto Him, you and your family. But if you do not put the Bible at the center of your home, you will miss out on all these blessings. And I'll be honest with you, I have a whole list of, of benefits here that I haven't even touched on. But I just want you to know this, that God is interested in your whole family and He wants you to declare your whole family blessed if you focus on the Word of God. Let's stand. Taking a bit longer than usual. But, uh, but it's so important for us to just realize, don't look at your Bible as just a religious book and performing your religious duty. God wants to bless your whole family. And if you put your Bible in the right place in your home, God will make sure that He plays the important role in your house. I want to tell you a story about what happened to me in, in, in Brazil. I was ministering there. And then one day... The pastor took me for a walk along the beach and we walked for a long time and they have these kiosks serving some snacks and cold drinks along the way. And so uh, it, it was a hot day and at one stage he said to me, would you like some, some coconut juice? I said, that sounds good. So we stopped at this kiosk and I thought he was going to, to buy a bottle of coconut juice. And so he asked for the juice and the man took out two coconuts out of the fridge and he had a kind of a machete and he went, whew, whew, put a straw in there and gave it to me. And it was such a, a new experience for me to drink this fresh coconut juice. And I realized this, that to get to the good stuff, you have to get through the shell. And often the, the shell of a coconut it's like God saying, I'm saving the good stuff for those who are serious. The nonchalant person who is not going to put in an effort, when he sees a coconut, it doesn't look nice because some of them are brown and hairy. They don't smell nice. It's hard work to get to the good stuff. And they will ignore it. They will, when they go to the fruit shop, stop at the banana counter because a banana has zips. You could just open it right there and there and eat it. <laughs> but you will miss the good stuff, the novelty of the coconut juice and the flesh.
unless you're willing to put in some effort. You see, God's truth is free, but it's not cheap. It's available to every one of you. If you put in the effort and, and, and make sure that you don't just casually read the Bible, but get into becoming a serious student of the Word, God will show you things that you've never experienced before. And if that is your commitment today, I want to pray specifically for you. If you want to say, God, I'm going to get serious about your word. I'm going to trust you to impact my whole family. While we're praying this prayer, just put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we thank you as we raise our hands today. We acknowledge that your word is a bag full of living seed. Because your word is alive and powerful and able to penetrate even to the very core of our being like no other book can. And Father, we thank you that that sword of the Spirit has the ability to open up our hearts and change our motives and our attitudes, our thoughts, renew them. And so, Father, we raise our hands as a commitment that we're giving your word central place in our families. That as households of faith, we will make sure that our family members are exposed to your word. And thank you that all the blessings and more those that we mentioned and those that we could not even get to, those blessings will be there in abundance in our families. And that this church will be known as families that focus on faith in God's Word. And they'll be blessed. People will be drawn to that. And Father, right now, we want to pray another prayer. So I want you to put your hands down. If you have a family member or members that you need to come into the kingdom, will you put your hand up? Will you name them before God? Mention their names right now. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are a household God, that you are a generational God. And we call those names out before you right now. And we see them in the kingdom. We already call them into the family of God that they will not just be part of our household, but they will be part of the, the broader household of faith. We see them serving you. We see them making the, the change. We see them turning around. And we will confess that. And we will believe that. And we will stand on your promises that you have saved households before and you will do it again. So we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. And Father, if there's anyone here that does not know you in a personal way, we thank you that you speak to them right now. You can put your hands down again. 
going to take a last opportunity. I want to pray a last prayer. If you're not sure about your relationship with God, you heard all about the fact that God is a father, but you're not sure whether you're his child. You see, it doesn't come through religion. It doesn't come through anything else. It only comes through faith and having an encounter with a living Savior. Jesus said this to a religious leader. He said, unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom. And as much as you can recall a natural physical birthday, you should be able to to recall a spiritual birthday. You might not remember the date, but you can remember the moment. But if you cannot recall such a moment, if you are here and you're unsure that if you were to die today, where are you going to spend eternity? The Bible says God wants to give you that assurance. You can know you don't have to hope. You don't have to wish. You can know that you have eternal life if you have Jesus the Son. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, this is your opportunity. So I want to pray a last prayer, and I want to include you. And if you want that assurance of eternal salvation, just put your hand up, and I'm going to include you in that prayer. A last opportunity as we pray. And I'm not going to drag this out. Just put your hand up wherever you are. Even in the, in the overflow in the Chinese service, if you, if you want that, just put your hand up. Let me give you a last opportunity. Is there somebody? Right, if you put your hand up, I want to invite you to come to the front here. I'm not here to embarrass anyone, but just come wherever you are. And we're going to pray for you. It's not easy for me to see right now. So uh, if, if, if that is you, otherwise I'm going to pray a general prayer. I want us all to pray this prayer. Even if you, you are a believer, let's pray it on behalf of others. Will you repeat this out loud after me? Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. I confess that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I invite Jesus to come into my life. Forgive me, cleanse me, and make me brand new. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus died in my place, took my punishment so that I can be free and receive the gift of eternal life. I thank you for that. I'm now your child. I receive salvation by grace through faith. I'm now a child of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on. If I came all the way just for one person, that's good enough. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you raised up your hand and you accepted Christ today, we would love to have a chance to speak with you uh, and pray with you. But hey, uh, just before everybody leaves, can I just have your attention just for one uh, minute? We're going through, I, I think, a very landmark series in our church.